Well, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 5 again and read the same passage of Scripture we've been looking at these last few times. So Matthew chapter 5, and begin reading in verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Well, we've been considering the Sermon on the Mount for these past few meetings, or messages anyway, that I've given. And the theme that I've highlighted in this series is that Jesus is describing for us what kingdom of heaven is like, what life in the kingdom of heaven is like. And there's a lot of material that we're going to be covering in the coming months uh, as we go on beyond the Beatitudes, where we'll see this kingdom life described as it's played out in our daily lives. Um, But Jesus begins this sermon by giving us some characteristics of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, characteristics of a Christian. And the first characteristic we considered is the beatitude in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. No one can claim citizenship in the kingdom of heaven who has not recognized their own spiritual poverty and complete dependence upon God. Every true Christian is one who has seen that they come to Jesus completely empty-handed and in need of mercy. No claiming their own good works, like the Pharisee. Remember the parable there of the Pharisee and the publican. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this other guy. He was claiming his good works. I've done this, I've done that. But rather, we need to be like the publican, confessing our sin and need of a Savior. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And then last week, we considered the beatitude in verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And as you remember, the mourning described here is not the mourning of loss, but rather the mourning over sin. This brokenness or mourning over sin is the result of seeing our sin as being against God. Like David says there in Psalm 51, against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Every Christian has seen something of their sin and felt conviction or mourning over it. 
But the beatitude doesn't end there. It goes on to say that those who mourn will be comforted. And that comfort is the forgiveness of sins. And we looked at 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that brings us to today's beatitude, uh, verse 5. But before we look at that, I want to mention one other general observation about the Beatitudes, and that is this. The Beatitudes are not speaking about natural tendencies or the natural demeanor or disposition of a person. A person may have a naturally low self-image of themselves, but that's not what is spoken of here as being poor in spirit. A person may be naturally melancholy and sad, but that is not what is meant by blessed are those who mourn. And a person may be naturally passive and not aggressive, but that is not what is meant by blessed are the gentle. Because these qualities listed in the Beatitudes are completely outside of the natural realm. They are referring to spiritual qualities, not natural tendencies. Your natural tendencies and my natural tendencies or natural demeanor are irrelevant as it pertains to our standing before the Lord. All of us are in need of a Savior, and no one is closer to the kingdom than anyone else apart from the working of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So it's completely independent of our natural tendencies. Well, that brings us then to verse 5. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. Um, Most of the other translations say, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So gentle or meek. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, gentleness or meekness. And I'm going to be interchanging them um, because I do believe that they mean the same thing, at least here in this passage. Um, So gentleness or meekness. Now, before we get into this, I want to take a, a little step back and consider what the Jews who were hearing this would have thought when Jesus was giving this sermon. As you remember, this is one of the earliest teachings of Jesus. It's at least the earliest uh, discourse in the Gospels that we have of Jesus. Whether or not uh, the crowd had heard him preach at other times, I don't know. But this is certainly one of the early times that they would have heard him. And as you know, uh, Israel was under the rule of Rome. And they certainly were desiring to cast off Rome and have their own independence again. They were looking for a Messiah that was going to come and destroy Rome, get rid of Rome, going to be a powerful ruler to get rid of these evil Romans, these Gentiles, so that Israel can go forward with this new Messiah king. And here Jesus comes onto the scene, and they are ready for him to drop the hammer on Rome. And what does he do? He says things like, blessed are the gentle, blessed are the meek. This is 
like would have caught them completely off guard. What are you talking about? The meek, the gentle, how are we going to destroy and get rid of Rome if this is the attitude that we're to have? And again, it's because Jesus is pointing to something completely outside of an earthly kingdom. He's talking about a heavenly kingdom. But nonetheless, this would have been a shock to the Israelites who were hearing this. Well, what is meant by gentle or meek? And as I just mentioned, this is not referring to a spirit or I'm sorry, a natural disposition that some people have, such as being naturally passive, soft spoken, or gentle. Nor is this contrasting the difference between a football player or a ballerina. It has nothing to do with any of that. This is speaking about something that the spirit works in a person even in a person who is not naturally this way. And Moses is given to us as an example of meekness in the Bible. In Numbers chapter 12, uh, it says this, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. But as we examine Moses' life, we see that he was not always this way. In his younger years, while living in Pharaoh's house, you remember, he saw uh, an Egyptian out there and an Israelite, and he tried to deliver that Hebrew by killing. He rose up and he slew the Egyptian. So he's going to take matters into his own hands, like, I am going to deliver this Hebrew here by my own strength, and he kills the Egyptian. But then, of course, he flees from Pharaoh. And after spending 40 years as a shepherd in the wilderness, he learns meekness. God worked that meekness in him. Again, the Beatitudes are the, uh, are the result of the new birth of the Lord doing something in the heart, not natural disposition. It's not that baby Moses was just such a gentle little baby and grew up to be a gentle man. That's not what this is talking about. God had to work that meekness, that gentleness in him. Well, what does the word meek mean? You know, the word gentle, I think we use that in our language enough that I think we all have images in our mind of what gentleness means. But what about the word meek? And for that, I had to look it up in a Bible dictionary, and it was so helpful to see the descriptions of the word meek that I want to, I had my wife write it down on a whiteboard, so I'm going to set that up so that you all can see that. Okay. So, this is from a Bible dictionary that I found online. Uh, Actually, it's the King James Bible Dictionary. And this is what it says. Meekness means mild of temper, soft, gentle, not easily provoked or irritated, yielding, given to forbearance under injuries, submissive to the divine will, not proud, self-sufficient, or refractory, and I had to look up the word refractory because I didn't know what that meant, It means stubborn or unmanageable. 
So not proud, not self-sufficient, not stubborn or unmanageable, not apt to complain of divine dispensations. It's another word we don't use a whole lot, dispensations. That means something that's distributed or given out. So not apt to complain about things that the Lord providentially, sovereignly gives to us. Well, that's what they call definition by synonym. That's kind of like taking a drink from a fire hydrant. There's a lot there, a lot to digest. But as I was meditating on these descriptions or, um, or definitions of meekness, something stood out to me. And maybe it did to you as well as I was reading this. It sounds a lot like love in 1 Corinthians 13. And here's verses 4 and 5 of 1 Corinthians 13 from the ESV version. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. So you see a lot of the same ideas here. A lot of the same words are even used between 1 Corinthians 13 and this biblical definition of the word meek, which makes one ponder and think, Lord, what is the connection here between meekness and love? And I'll be honest to say I haven't given it enough thought to really dig into that or at least to to talk much about it. But there might be a homework assignment for us this week. Think about what is the connection between meekness and love. Well, there is so much in this definition that we could talk about. But I want to specifically highlight the phrase submissive to the divine will. And this idea of submission comes up in other places in the definition. So it's, it's in there, submissive to the divine will. But it's also, if you think about it in the broader sense, it comes up when we use words like yielding. Yielding. What does that mean? Think about driving down the road and you come to the red triangle, yield. That means wait, slow down, wait, let someone else go. Submit to that other person, yield to them. Given to forbearance under injuries. Forbearance, patience. When you get injured, you forbear. You don't wither there. And then, of course, submissive to the divine will. Not stubborn or unmanageable. You know, stubbornness is the exact opposite of submission. If someone is being stubborn, they're not willing to submit. And then not apt to complain of divine dispensations. If someone is truly submitted, they're not going to be complaining about things that are happening in their life or things that are happening to them. So all of those descriptions fall under the umbrella of submission. And so as we talk about meekness and gentleness, I want you to think of it in this way. Humble submission to God. Humble submission to God. And to understand meekness or gentleness and the relationship it has to submission, I find it helpful to think of it in regards to training an animal. And I actually shared this a couple weeks ago after Andrew's message. Um, so forgive me if, if this is a repeat for you, but it fits in so well here with this passage. 
Um, and I am not, as people would say, an animal person, so forgive me if this analogy is a little inaccurate in some details. But think about if you were um, training an animal. So let's say you get a horse that has never been trained, a wild horse, and you bring them in. How would you describe that horse? Well, it's probably going to have a strong will. It wants to do what it wants to do. And it's not, you know, if you have your call or whatever, your signal to get it to, to do something, it's not going to respond because it has its own will. It has not been trained in that way. You would not describe a horse like that as being gentle, right? Because it's never been broken. Its will has not been broken. But as you begin to work with that horse, and as you begin to break its will and bring its will under submission of you as the master, what changes with that horse? Does it lose its power? Does it lose its majesty? Not at all. It remains just as powerful as it's always been. But now it is submitted to your will and is gentle. Would you take a child and put a child on a horse that's never been ridden and never been broken? No, you wouldn't. But if you had a horse that you knew was submitted to you in every way, and was always waiting for your instruction, would you put a child on that horse? Probably. You would feel comfortable of doing that because it's broken. It's gentle. So I believe that's a good example of the relationship between gentleness or meekness and submission. The more submitted we are to the Lord the more we will be able to patiently wait and endure trials with meekness. And the more in submission we are to the Lord, the more we'll be able to respond with gentleness towards others because our will and our desires will be submitted to God. In other words, we won't be reacting out of our own emotions. We will be submitting ourselves to God. Well, turn with me to Psalm 37. I want to read some verses here from this psalm. I found this the other night as I was doing some studying, and the parallels in this psalm are remarkable as we think about this idea of meekness and some of the definitions of meekness, but particularly this idea of submission. So as I read, I'm going to stop every so often and just kind of highlight some of the phrases, but I want you to be thinking about this. What is the psalmist saying here, and how does it apply to this idea of submission? So Psalm 37, verse 1, do not fret because of evildoers, do not be envious towards wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. You know, the, the idea of submission involves faith and trust. If we are going to submit ourselves to the Lord, it means we need to trust the Lord. 
And to the extent that we are able to trust the Lord and wait on him, it's an indication that we are submitted to him. So here we have it already twice, verse 3 and 5, trust in the Lord. Verse 6, he will, also, he will bring your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Again, submission. Do not fret because of him who prospers in the way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evildoing. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, again, submission, wait for the Lord, will inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked man will be no more, and you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. I look verse 11 up. I I don't know, does anyone here have the King James, the authorized version? I look that up, verse 11 says, but the meek will inherit the land. (laughs) And so here you have, it's, it's a parallel of what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the gentle, the meek, for what? They shall inherit the land. And then here we have the exact same thing in Psalm 37. But the humble will inherit the land. Well, how does this meekness, this submission to God, fit in with the previous or preceding Beatitudes that we've already looked at? Well, I think as we consider the previous two Beatitudes, we'll see that meekness or gentleness actually flows from the other two Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are those who mourn. So poverty of spirit is the complete emptying of self and complete dependence upon God. Remember that song that I quoted, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And then mourning, as we looked at last week, is the grieving over our sin and the comfort that comes from forgiveness in him. A person who comes to this place of total dependence upon God for salvation and who has a real sense of their own sin and has experienced forgiveness of their sins, this person will be broken and humbled by a recognition of their sin and by experiencing the merciful grace of God. The result of seeing your spiritual poverty and seeing your sin and mourning over it is that you will have no confidence in yourself, but instead will be dependent upon God. So in place of confidence in self, it turns into reliance upon God, looking to God, submitting yourself to God. That is meekness. And as I was thinking about this, I thought of Peter in the New Testament, in the Gospels there. You remember how, I don't know the right word to describe Peter. Confident is probably the right word to use for Peter. How confident he was when he boldly proclaimed to Jesus and to the other disciples 
that he would, this is a quote, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. You know, Jesus had told him, you're going to deny me. And he, he flat out denied that that would happen. Lord, never, I will not deny you. Even though everybody else, every one of you is going to fall away, but not me. That self-confidence that he had. But then, of course, we know the story. He did fall. But let me read to you and, and notice the difference in his attitude. This is in John 21. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to him, said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Jesus ultimately goes on to ask him three times, do you love me? And each time, Peter, you can, at least what I'm gathering from this, there is a change in Peter's attitude where once there was this self-confidence, I will never deny you. Now his response, Lord, you know that I love you. You know. In other words, he's now leaning on Christ. Lord, you know. It's no longer about, of course I do. I'm the strongest Christian there is. It's his dependence upon God. Lord, you know that I love you. And then later on, after this, um, Jesus foretells for Peter what he's going to endure, what his death, what Peter's death is going to be like. And Peter, hearing this, looks at John and says, Lord, what about this man? What about him? You know, I'm going to have to die by crucifixion. What about this guy? And um, let's see, let me find it. Yeah, Peter says, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, Jesus is reminding him again, that doesn't matter. That doesn't pertain to you. You just follow me. In other words, you trust me and follow me. So Jesus is reinforcing this idea of submission and trust to him, to Peter. Here's the the Peter who is now broken. He really was broken over his sin. We talked about that last time, how he went out and wept bitterly. So he saw his sin. He was weeping over his sin. And now there's this gentleness, this meekness, this submission to God and leaning on him. Well, what does this meekness or gentleness look like in a person? And, of course, we've already looked a little bit here at Peter, um, but I have some other examples for us. We've already described meekness or gentleness as humble submission to God. A meek or gentle person is one who has submitted their will to God and is following him. So where he leads, they follow. What he commands, they obey. When he says wait, they wait. In other words, there's patience there. When he says go, they obey and they go. When they don't understand, they trust. And that's key. 
Because how many times do we have things in our life that we don't understand? What does meekness, what does submission look like in those moments? It means we trust. We don't have all the answers. We don't see how it all fits together. But we trust. We lean on Christ. We say, Lord, you know. I'm trusting you. So in short, one who is meek or gentle, they are submitted to God in every area of their life. Humble submission to God in every area of their life. And David is a good example of meekness. And two examples from his life came to my mind. First, before David became king, Saul, who was the king, sought to put him to death. And David was on the run from Saul, as you remember. And on two separate occasions, David and his men came upon Saul and the army of Israel while they were sleeping. While Saul and the army were sleeping, David and his men come upon him. And David had opportunity to kill Saul and claim the throne of Israel. You think about this. Um, Samuel had already laid his hands upon David, you know, anointed him as the next king. David knew the king, uh, the throne would be his. So here's the opportunity. Your enemy, the guy who's trying to kill you, is asleep right there. All you have to do is take that sword or that spear, kill him, the throne is yours. In fact, some of David's men were urging him to do this. But David refused. David was waiting on God. He wasn't going to kill the Lord's anointed in order to advance his own kingdom. And that's one of the things he kept saying. How could I raise up my hand against the Lord's anointed? In other words, he was willing to wait on God. And that is an example of meekness. Waiting on God. Patiently waiting. Those two examples come from 1 Samuel 24 and 26, as far as whenever David had opportunity to kill Saul. And then the second example from David's life was when he was on the run from Absalom. And Absalom had won the hearts of the people of Israel over to him, and he was ready to take the throne of David by force, to take his father's throne by force and even kill David in order to gain the throne. And so David was forced to flee Jerusalem to save his own life. And while on the run, Shimei, a Benjamite, meets David and curses him and throws rocks at David and at David's men. And one of David's men was ready to go cut Shimei's head off. I mean, that's how bad this was. Cursing the king, throwing rocks at the king. I mean, I'm not in Britain, but I know you don't do that sort of thing with a king. You don't curse them and throw rocks at them. And Abishai, one of David's men, is ready to go take matters into his own hands, so to speak. But David kept him from doing that. And I want to just read here um, what David says. This is in 2 Samuel 16. Says, but the king said, What have I to do with you, O sons of Zariah? That's Abishai. If he curses, and if the Lord has told him, Curse David, 
Then who shall say, Why have you done so? Then David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my son who came out from me seeks my life. How much more now this Benjamite? Let him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him. Perhaps the Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of his cursing this day. This is remarkable. The king of Israel, who has every right to allow his men to go up there and kill this man, says, No, God has told him to do this. Let him be. Maybe the Lord will return blessing on me instead of this curse. That is meekness. Well, sometimes it is helpful to see the opposite of something to be able to better understand what it really means. So how might we describe one who is not meek or gentle? And in light of what we are talking about here, I would say a person who is not meek or gentle would be one who might say they are submitted to God, but in reality there are evidences in their life of just the opposite. Instead of resting in him and trusting him, they are unsettled. You know, just that unsettledness of not being able to rest in Christ. They may struggle with patience, feeling as though God isn't doing anything, and therefore they begin to take God's matters into their own hands. They may be concerned to demand their own rights or defend their own reputation rather than entrusting that to the Lord. Whenever they react or respond from one of these wrong motives, they are acting on their own impulses rather than waiting on God and entrusting themselves or the situation to him. And as a result of that, their attitudes and words will oftentimes be marked by a lack of gentleness. So that is a description, partial, I mean, there's a whole lot we could say to that, but that's a partial description of one who is not meek, not gentle, not submitted to the Lord. And I have a funny illustration of this very thing to share with you, and I've gotten permission from my wife to share this story. Um, Deanne was the youngest of four kids growing up, And when her older siblings would get in trouble, her dad would come and set things straight. And Deanne would be right next to him as a young child. I don't know how young, but we're going to say quite young. Right next to her dad, hollering out at her brothers and sisters, adding in her two cents of what they did wrong and what they needed to do to fix it. And her dad would finally have to send her out of the room, send her to her room so that he could deal with the problem. And Deanne said she would go into her room and stand in there hollering, yelling out to them, still giving her two cents on what they did wrong and what to do to fix it. I don't know if Robert can testify to any of this. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Well, As a young child, this lack of trusting her dad to handle the situation and the lack of submitting to his leadership led her to try and fix the problem herself. 
and certainly it would not have been done in meekness or gentleness. And that's a humorous illustration, but it really is true for us, even in how we deal with problems when they come up. When we are not submitted to God and not following his guidance and his leading, the Spirit's promptings, then the way we respond in situations is going to be the exact opposite of gentleness and instead is going to be done in rudeness or uh, a lack of love. And ironically, we see this very thing in Moses when God told him to speak to the rock to bring forth water. I want to turn, uh, or have you turn, to Numbers chapter 20. I'd like to read this passage because it really is pretty remarkable just to see this very thing of what we're talking about here. Instead of submitting to God, trusting him, obeying him, what can happen? So Numbers chapter 20 and begin reading in verse 1. Then the sons of Israel, the whole congregation, came to the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed at Kadesh. Now Miriam died there and was buried there. There was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. The people thus contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why then have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for, our, um, for us and our beasts to die here? Why have you made us come up from Egypt to bring us into this wretched place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there water to drink. So stop right there for just a moment. Clearly, the people are in sin here, right? They're complaining against the Lord. They are not submitting to God in this. They are not trusting him. Instead, they're anxious. They're um, complaining. There is no settledness. There's no submission to God. But really, this story is about Moses here. Verse 6, Then Moses and Aaron came in from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes, that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So the Lord is going to answer, you might say, the complaint of the people. He's going to provide water for them, and he gives Moses specific instructions of what to do. Verse 9, So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beasts drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. So Moses the meekest man alive, did not show meekness here. 
Instead of submitting himself to what God said, he took matters into his own hands and struck the rock after speaking harshly to the people. You know, just that, that phrase, what he says there, listen now, you rebels. You kind of get a, a sense of what's going on in Moses' heart. Honestly, understandably, yeah, he's frustrated with these people. They complain at virtually every turn. Every time they come upon a trial, they start complaining about God's provision and God's goodness to them. And Moses is fed up with it. But notice the Lord is ready to give water to these complaining people. But Moses acts out of frustration and says, listen now, you rebels. And instead of obeying God, and notice what Jesus, or what uh, The Lord says here in verse 12, because you have not believed me. In other words, there was an element of lack of trust there. You didn't believe me to obey me and do what I said. Had Moses believed God and submitted to God in this situation, he would have obeyed God and not spoken harshly and spoken to the rock as God instructed instead of striking the rock. It made me think of this verse in 2 Timothy 2, actually two verses, 24 and 25. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. So two things that stand out to me there in that passage. The first, be kind. Kindness is to be on our tongue. Kindness is to be on our lips. And then 25, what about if you, verse 25 that is, what about if you come across a problem? Like how, what does kindness look like when we're addressing a problem? with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. In other words, not treating it like Moses did, coming with the rod, listen now, you rebels, but rather with gentleness addressing the issue, so that if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. So kindness and gentleness is to be the characteristics that we are to display Here's a quote from one of the men that I've been reading, um, Ferguson, says, As we experience the gentleness of his grace, that is God's grace, we are meek and gentle with others. As we experience the gentleness of his grace, we are meek and gentle with others. Well, the best example for meekness or gentleness is Christ himself. You know, in Matthew 11, um, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, this is the only time that I'm aware of where Jesus described his own character. And he describes himself as gentle and humble in heart. 
And as uh, other translations say, meek and lowly. So in what way was Jesus gentle or meek? And we could look at lots of examples from his life where he exhibited gentleness towards others. But I want to look specifically at what we're focusing on today, which is humble submission to God. How did Jesus display humble submission to God? And we don't have to go very far to see that his whole life was devoted to submission to his Father. And I've got just three passages I'm going to share with you here. John 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is Jesus, the Son of God, coming. And he's saying, I'm not here to do what I want to do. I'm here to do what the Father has instructed me, what the Father has sent me to do. That's what I'm going to do. Complete submission to the Father. And then in John 12, Jesus says this, For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life, Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. So again, similar idea, only this time it's now about his words. Whatever the Father has given me to say, that's what I'm saying. I'm not here just speaking my own opinion. I am receiving the words from the Father and saying what he would have me to say. Again, complete dependence and reliance upon the Father. And then the last one, 1 Peter 2, verse 21 and following. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. And then skip down to verse 23. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Think of that. Jesus, of all people, could have defended himself because every accusation against him was false. There was not a hint of truth in any accusation. Jesus could have defended himself and been right to do so, but instead he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He kept passing his reputation on to the Father. Lord, you know, this is yours to deal with. You are in control of this. That is humility. That is meekness. And that is our example. (laughs) What Peter says there, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. We are to follow his example that when we're reviled, We don't revile in return, but rather we keep entrusting ourselves to him who judges righteously. Well, in closing then, what is the promised blessing for this beatitude? So back in Matthew 5, if you're not there. Matthew 5, verse 5. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. The the promised blessing here is they shall inherit the earth. Now, this is quite contrary to the thinking of the world. How does one get ahead in the world? By asserting himself. Take charge. 
Take the bull by the horns. You won't get anywhere in this life with a quiet, unimposing demeanor. You must be the master of your own fate. You guys can probably think of some other cliches that I haven't. But the idea there is if you want to get ahead, you got to do it yourself. Like you got to muster up the strength. You got to be assertive. You got to go out and take it if you want to get ahead. But what does Jesus say? If you have this quiet, humble, submissive attitude called meekness, you will inherit the earth. If you want to inherit the earth, follow me. Submit yourself completely to me. Well, what is the earth referring to here? Is this the earth as we know it now? So, Kirksville and United States, North America, the world earth? Or is this the earth in the new heavens and the new earth? What does Jesus mean here? Well, Matthew Henry says that this can be read instead of they shall inherit the earth. He says it can be read they shall inherit the land, as in the land of Canaan, which is a type of heaven. And if this is what Jesus means, then he is telling us that the way to inherit the kingdom of heaven is by having this attitude of meekness or gentleness. And this fits in with some of the other promised blessings in the Beatitudes, namely in verse 3 and 10, where Jesus says, as the promise, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is telling us what is life in the kingdom of heaven like, and how does one enter the kingdom of heaven. If you want to know, read the Beatitudes. And verse 5 is one of those. Blessed are the gentle or the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Or, as Matthew Henry says here, they shall inherit the land, which is exactly what David said there in Psalm 37. The humble shall inherit the land. Well, amen. Why don't we close in prayer here? Father, as we consider these thoughts here this morning, we confess, Lord, that in our own flesh, this is certainly not the attitude that we feel springing up within us. Lord, quite honestly, we feel just the opposite, oftentimes wanting to take matters into our own hands, Lord, wanting to defend ourselves, defend our reputation, wanting to deal harshly with others. So, Lord, we confess to you our complete need of you. Lord, we need your spirit to work this in us. Thank you, Lord, that you did not leave us alone to struggle in this way, but that you've given us your spirit, that you've given us a new heart with new desires. Lord, help us to be like Christ in this way, to model meekness and humility. Lord, we thank you for the examples we do see in Scripture. Lord, a couple of them that we've looked at here today with David and with Moses. Um, And Lord, we know there's many others, but most importantly, we thank you for the example of Christ. So Lord, please be honored and glorified in our lives. Lord, let this be what marks us as those who are humbly submitted to you in every area of our life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.